The old preacher stands before the congregation and says, the good news is that God has provided for every possible need and every dream that this congregation has. The bad news is all of those resources are still in your wallets and your purses. I wanted to give you an update on the campaign and so thrilled for the 670 families and households that have participated thus far. We are over 70% of the way there. We are over $35 million in pledges, thanks be to God. That's wonderful news. <laughs> Having said that, this is a 7,000 member church and only about 670 families have participated thus far. And we believe and we know based on the science of studying these things that it will take over a thousand families for us to be able to get to our goal. And so my challenge to you directly today is as you've been hearing and reading and seeing and before we get into a summer rhythm about the dreams and the hopes and the aspirations that we have as a church that if you call Peachtree your home, if you're a member here, we're hoping to activate and make sure that we all participate so that we can get where we need to be. I have every confidence that the capacity is there for us to be able to do this. I also know that our greatest struggle will be apathy or thinking that someone else will take care of this. Let's do this together. Now, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17 or with the Matthew journal that we've been working through throughout the course of this year. And as you're turning there, I want to take you back to 1998. I graduate from graduate school. It's my first bona fide job that's full-time and with benefits. I've become an associate pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Houston. I am working under the leadership of Vic Pence. And when I'm getting my first ever paycheck and all of these things and benefits, I discover that there is this benefit that's called a cell phone allowance. And I am so excited because I am going to go buy my first mobile phone. Anybody remember Singular Wireless? So I went over to the Singular Wireless store and I met with the clerk and looked at all of the large, clunky, folding, Crackberry kind of phones and picked out the phone that I wanted and got that phone, got the box, got the charger, listened to the instructions, all of those things, went home, charged it up, and tried to start using it, and nothing would work right. And so I read the instructions again, and I plugged it in some more, and I tried turning it off and turning it back on and everything, and eventually still could not get this thing to work, still could not call my mother with my mobile phone went back to the Singular Wireless store and handed over to the clerk and said, it's paid for, but I don't know what's wrong with it. And he took it into the back and he came back and he said, ah, yes, we did everything except for activating your phone. <laughs> and yet with one little simple switch, then the process was used for me to be able to use the new communication device. Last week in the Gospel of Matthew, we saw Peter profess faith in Jesus. And yet Peter doesn't fully know, even though he's naming and putting his trust in Jesus, what that really means. That the book of Matthew is primarily a book about discipleship, students, apprentices of Jesus. It's a book 
four students of Jesus trying to become more and more into the image of Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, it will say at the end. At the beginning, it is about making disciples follow me. And there comes a point here towards this portion of it that, yes, they profess their trust in Jesus, but the disciples, their faith is not activated. And that there's some things that have to happen between now and the end of the story in order for their faith to fully come alive. So let's look at Matthew chapter 17 and a famous story of the transfiguration, these first eight verses. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, metamorphosis. He was metamorphosized before them. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when Jesus heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. How does somebody's faith go from being a passive faith to an activated faith? The first thing that happens is that it begins with a surprise. The transfiguration story is the pulling back of the curtain. It's getting a sneak peek and being able to witness what is happening beyond what we are able to see and to know regularly. The disciples have been following Jesus for all of this time. They've seen some amazing things, but they've never seen anything like this before. Back when we were in seminary, there was a new professor at Princeton, a woman by the name of Ellen Cherry. She grew up Jewish, had kind of slid into some agnosticism, and was studying philosophy, history of thought, and theology. And as she was studying these things, she was reading Karl Barth's Church Dogmatics. You need to know that there's an entire shelf in my office that's about this big that has nothing but Karl Barth's church dogmatics on it. I've maybe read this point of all of this there. And one of the famous things about Barth is that his footnotes are longer than the actual text of what he has written. To say that Barth is dense is the grossest understatement in the history of academics. It is so thick. Ellen Cherry is reading Karl Barth in the library, swimming through the footnotes, when all of a sudden, the presence of the risen Christ appeared to her made himself known to her. She wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus 
came looking for her. It always begins with a surprise. There's a French philosopher by the name of Simone Weil who says there's only two things that pierce the human soul, and that is either beauty or affliction. Psychologists will say that it is only either awe or need that brings someone to a greater recognition of God in your life. You may be unsuspecting, and there comes this piercing moment of beauty or of wonder or of need and of hurt, and it is in those moments where God shows up, pulls the curtain back, and surprises us. When I meet with people and they say, I'd like to be able to grow in my faith or activate my faith, I have to tell them what I know to be true from scripture and from experience. You can't really do anything to grow or activate your faith. It is only something that the Spirit of God can do within you. All you can do is put yourself in a position to receive an activated faith. I love how Jamie Smith puts it in one of his books called Imagining the Kingdom. He likens it to this. I cannot choose to fall asleep. The best I can do is choose to put myself in a posture and rhythm that welcomes sleep. I lie down in bed on my left side with my knees drawn up. I close my eyes. I breathe slowly, putting my plans out of my mind. But the power of my will or consciousness stops there. I want to go to sleep. I've chosen to climb into bed. But in another sense, sleep is not something under my control or at my beckoned call. I call up the visitation of sleep by imitating the breathing and posture of a sleeper. There is a moment when sleep comes, settling on this imitation of itself, which I have been offering to it. And I succeed in becoming what I was trying to be. Sleep is what? It's a gift to be received, not a decision to be made, and yet it is a gift that requires a posture of reception, a kind of active welcome. I bet if I pulled you aside and said, would you like a deeper, more abiding, more activated faith, you would say, yes, you would. And I'm here to tell you that you cannot make that happen. You cannot engineer that outcome. What you can do is put yourself in a posture where the spirit can come. And so the first dimension of an activated faith is a pulling back of the curtain. It is a surprise where God pierces our soul in a way where we are finally ready to receive it. The second way that faith gets activated in our life that we see in this story of the transfiguration is that it connects us to the promise the covenant, the grander story of what God is doing. Did you notice who was with Jesus at the moment of the transfiguration, that there are kind of two surprised guests, that it's not just Jesus, but, and we have on our left here, we have Moses, and on our right, we have Elijah. You might be wondering what's going on with that. Moses is the one who led them through the Red Sea in their moment of salvation from slavery from Egypt. Elijah, the quintessential of the prophets, who was a part of the saving work of what the prophets were leading them through, for them being saved from their time of being thrown out of the homeland and in their period of exile. 
the covenant, the promise of what God is doing is that he is still reaching out. He is still rescuing his people. And one of the things that I had never seen before in this passage, something that I had never noticed that there were any parallels until this week, is I was reading in a commentary about how the transfiguration has remarkable parallels to the scene of the cross. Here's straight from the commentary. Let's look at it together. In the transfiguration, Jesus' clothes shine with the glory of God. At the crucifixion, the soldiers gamble over his garments. In the transfiguration, Jesus is surrounded by Moses and Elijah at the cross by two criminals. In the transfiguration, Jesus is declared to be God's son by the voice of God from the cloud. At the crucifixion, the words, he said, I am God's son, became a taunt of mockery on the lips of the religious authorities. At the end of the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah have departed, leaving Jesus to stand in singular glory. At the end of the crucifixion, Jesus dies in humiliation while the crowd stand around waiting to see whether Elijah will come and save him. In both events, three of Jesus' followers are specified as witnesses. At the transfiguration by Peter, James, and John. At the crucifixion by Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, and Salome, the mother of Zebedee's sons. The parallel suggests that we are to read one story in the light of the other. Anticipating in the shining splendor of the transfiguration, the suffering by which this glory will be won. And discerning in the shame of the cross the very glory of God. I don't know of a truly activated faith that has never fully and deeply discovered the power of the cross. That in pulling back the curtain, what God reminds us of in the old covenant, the saving of his people in two different ways, and in the new covenant, the pointing ahead of what Jesus has done in the cross for you and me. It's one thing to have a religious or spiritual experience, but it's not really an activated faith unless it's tethered in the work of Jesus on the cross. And so activated faith first begins with the, pro the surprise. It connects to the promise. Thirdly, it reminds us of God's love. The heavens open in this moment, just like in the baptism. This is my beloved, or depending on how you want to translate it, precious son. I don't know if you paid attention in the news a couple of months ago of what happened in this location. Did you see the pictures, the video, or read the stories of what happened on a college campus this last year, Asbury, and what they were referring to as the Asbury Revival? How there was a group of students in worship and the worship just never stopped, that the spirit broke out, and that it just continued and continued and continued and Boy, depending on your perspective, depending on your level of cynicism or trust, and everybody who had a Twitter account had an opinion about what was happening at the Asbury Revival. Lost in all of either the jadedness or glory of that moment, most people don't know how it started. It started with a professor who was traveling who didn't have time to work on his sermon. And as he was coming back and he was working on a basic message and decided to give a very basic challenge. That at the end of his message, he stood up and he said, if there's anyone here 
who has never, who has never experienced deep love, who's never been fully loved, God is the one who will fully love you and we invite you forward and we want to pray for you. And students started pouring forward. The invitation was not some ecstatic experience, a religious high. The invitation was, have you received the voice of God calling you his precious child, his beloved? Your faith will never activate until you've heard the voice of God tell you that you are loved. And so activated faith begins with a surprise. It connects to the promise and the covenant. It reminds us of God's love. Then it grows through listening. Andy Crouch says one of the most durable ideas in all of history originates in Judaism. It is this. It is known as the Shemar Yisrael or what they often refer to as the Shema. Shema is a term, it comes from the verb shamar, which means to hear, to listen, or to obey. In the moment of the transfiguration, the heavens open for only the second time in the Gospels, they open as they did in the baptism. In the baptism, the heavens open, the Spirit descends like a dove, reminding us of the covenant of Noah. Here this time, there is no talk of a dove, but the heavens open, the reiteration of God's great love for Jesus and the overflow of that that's going to be for you and for me. And he says the very same thing that he said at the baptism, and yet he adds something here that he didn't say at the baptism before. He says, listen to him. When I was in Israel and a tour guide was one time pointing out which of the mountains they think is the mountain of transfiguration, the tour guide had a throwaway line, which they often have, which is really an explosive bomb of an idea, and said, yes, that's the mountain in which God gives to us his new Shema. Wait a minute. As a devout Jew, every day you would wake up in the morning, the first thing that you would say would be the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Before you would go to bed tonight, as a devout Jew, you would always say the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And at the top of the mountain, here the heavens open, and God says that the new Shema is in Jesus himself. This is an explosive idea. Your faith will never be activated until it is rooted in the obedience and the listening and the obeying and hearing of who Jesus is. And finally, activated faith happens when we share in the mission of Jesus, of raising others to new life. Fourfold pattern of what Jesus does at the end of this story here. Let me show you here. Jesus goes, 
He touches the disciples. He lifts them up. And he encourages them. And we follow this pattern. Go, get close, lift up, encourage. Instead of staying put and keeping our distance and leaving alone and remaining in fear. One of my favorite forms of uh, staying active is to swim. I've been swimming for a couple of decades. I've never swam competitively except for like in the third and fourth grade. So this is purely for, uh, this is purely to try to stay ahead of father time as much as possible. And while I was at a camp in Northern California, they had a great pool in the middle of a redwood forest. The pool was cold. And the pool was only open for lap swimming early in the morning. And so getting up early, I and a bunch of other polar bear types were there in order to be able to get in our cold exercise in the morning. And the pool was full, and it was one of those old school pools that's really deep that the lawyers won't let you make anymore. And so they had a lifeguard. And so I got in the pool and I started my swim and I was in the lane that was closest to the lifeguard that with every stroke going one direction, I couldn't help by my taking a breath by seeing the lifeguard. And the lifeguard was a young man who was wearing a lifeguard swimsuit, had the big lifeguard red parka, that the lifeguard was one of those ones who had the whistle and could swing that whistle around the fingers as lifeguards are wont to do. And not once did I see that lifeguard look up from his phone the entire 40 minutes of my swim. And by the time I got to the end of it, I was kind of upset. Because that lifeguard has a job to do. And I know it's lap swimming early in the morning and most people don't get to get up at six o'clock in the morning and go for a swim unless you actually know how to do it. But I wasn't really upset with that young man because it's a young man who needs to be coached and trained and supervised and led in the right way. And so as I'm walking my way back up the hill and going back to get dressed and to face the day, knowing that I had a meeting letter that day with the director, I was already rehearsing the speech in my mind of quality control and how they needed to work on leadership in these types of situations. And I did let the director know what happened. But my attitude changed because the Spirit of God convicted me on that day Rich, do you think that there are some lifeguards at Peachtree who haven't been fully trained and are paying more attention to their phones than they are to the waters, to the swimmers? And you know who their supervisor is, Rich. I'm like, yes, God, that's you. And he says, yes, but I've made you an under-shepherd. So if you want to complain to somebody, don't forget to complain against yourself. 
You've been entrusted to my care. And you and I are in the life-saving business of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be that passive recipient. I want us to be a community of activated people who are ready and willing to serve on a minute's notice. And so my hope and prayer is that we get into the summer is that your faith will be metamorphosized. It will be transformed. That you will be activated. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving Father, I pray that you will bless us today in a way that surprises us. To take us away from not just our professed belief or just showing up and being here without really paying attention. Remind us that you came to make students of you and to move those students from passivity to activity. Pull back the curtain once again. Give us that beauty or affliction that we need and give us receptive hearts to not be asleep but to wake up, to take us to the saving work of the cross and the covenants that are before us and for us to fall down like the disciples did in hearing the words that you are loved and precious. Lord, may a revival break out in our own time because of the need of being loved and how you fulfill that and that we can grow in that way through learning and listening to you. And so, God, we ask that the life-saving business would be our calling and that you would activate us as your children. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.